Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to the Local Church, the perfect place for imperfect people. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am imperfect myself. Being honest with you, I got issues. I got things that God is still trying to grow in me, but, but I am grateful that by the grace of God, he still uses an imperfect imbecile like myself. And here's the hope I want you to have today. By his grace, he can use you too. Are you grateful for that? Can we give God some more praise if we're grateful for that? Thank you, God, that you used me in spite of me, in spite of my situations, my messiness. You still choose to use me. We're in this series called Christmas as we lead up to Christmas. And our hope and our prayer in this series is that we would confront the mess in our lives. And that as we look at the mess and see the mess as God sees the mess, that we wouldn't miss the miracle of Christmas. That we wouldn't miss the meaning of what God wants to do through this mess. And some of us, we really need this series because our life is a mess. If your life is a mess, would you be bold enough to raise your hand right now? We got some messy situations. We got some messy circumstances, but there can be hope. There can be a miracle in the mess. I can't wait for Christmas Eve. I'm going to teach at our Christmas Eve Eve and our Christmas Eve services the miracle in the mess. And it's an opportunity for every single one of us to invite people that we know and that we love, that, that, that we know need the hope of Jesus, and they'll receive the greatest gift of God. We're talking about giving our greatest gift to God. Some of us, we're, we're seriously praying through that and considering, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to partner so that we can see even more by the conclusion of this year? But one thing that every single one of us can do is give away the greatest gift that God has given us. Give away the the love of Jesus, the hope of salvation. That's what Christmas is all about. Emmanuel, God is with us, and we want to give this hope away. So I want to encourage you as we begin today, on your way out today, grab some invite cards. Pray over those. God, what do you want me to do with these? Who do you want me to give these to? And I'm just believing that our Christmas Eve Eve and our Christmas Eve services, that there's going to be life in this place, that your friends and family who, who may be grumpy, who may be Grinches, that they would find the hope of Jesus. But here's the great thing. You ready for this? You ready? Yes. We don't have to wait until Christmas. We, we, can, we can start inviting today. We can experience hope today. We can experience life today. Why? Because his presence is here. Turn to someone, tell them, I don't have to wait. His presence is here with us today. And I'm excited for today. I'm excited to be here with all of you, all my church familia online, all my church familia at Everglades Correctional. I'm excited for what God is going to do today because last week, God did something in my heart while I was preaching. It's going to sound a little bit strange, but I was blessed by something I said teaching this church. And I knew what I was going to say before I said it, but I I didn't anticipate what God would do in my heart as I said it. God got me last week as I was teaching. And so today I, I've actually changed what I was going to talk about because this conviction of the Spirit of God was so significant that I have to talk about it today. If you remember last week, I was talking about how I hate mess, right? 
Started everything by saying, I, I get anxious about the mess. I can't stand a mess. I need everything put back in its place. I don't want dirt on the floor. I want to get rid of all the mess. And my family, they, they know this about me. Maybe you didn't know that, that, that about me, but my family does. My wife certainly knows about it. My kids, they hear it from me all the time to pick up the mess. Every day, hey, make sure everything is put back to where it was. There's a place for everything, and everything has a place. And when you're done playing with your stuff, put it back in its place before you go play with something else. Every single day, I remind my kids. In fact, one of the things that I, 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 I'm convicted of, of all the things I want my children to know, one thing that I know they know for sure is not something that I'm very proud of. My kids can repeat this because I say it so often. If it's on the floor, they'll say, it's in the trash. I just tell them that. If you leave it on the floor, it's going in the trash. Now, there's a method behind my madness. I know I'm a little bit crazy. I understand that. Every morning, as the kids head to school, I say, I want you to push your chairs back in. I want you to sweep off the crumbs, get the pillows all straightened up, close your closet, close your door, get everything off the floor. God forbid there's a Lego on the floor. I'm going to lose my mind, kids. So get everything off the floor. And when they go to bed at night, okay, clean your rooms up, close the bathroom door, turn off the lights. Put all the toys back where they belong. Don't leave it on the floor because if it's on the floor, it's in the trash. And the kids know that. And the reason why if it's on the floor, it's in the trash because at least once a day, usually twice, when we leave the house to go to school and when the kids are asleep, I send out Rosie to clean her house. Rosie is my robotic vacuum cleaner. We named her from Rosie, uh, from, the, from the Jetsons. And, and Rosie goes out and vacuums all the dirt on the floor. But if she rolls over a Lego or gets caught up in shoelaces, now I have to save Rosie. So I tell my kids, if it's on the floor, it's in the trash. We need a clean house. And some of you are saying, what's the problem in that? Right? We, we want a clean house. I want my kids to clean up also. You should preach that over in Kid Street. You should preach that in local use so my kids know to clean up their dirt. Some of you are like, that's not a problem. Some of you, you need to see it as a problem though. Some of you, if you have to shimmy your way in your house because you have boxes everywhere, if you have to clean your feet before you go in bed so you don't get your bed sheets dirty, you have a problem that you need to confront. Amen? But I'm not here to talk about your problem. I'm here to confess my problem. I have a problem. My problem is I see the mess often, and unless the mess is taken care of, I can't function. I see the mess, and it has to be cleaned up before I do anything. And because I'm so focused on the mess, I miss the meaning of it all. If you're taking notes, I've titled today's teaching, there's a meaning behind all the mess. The Holy Spirit wanted to remind me as I was teaching that there's a meaning behind the mess. And I just want to start off by saying this, that most of the time when, when I preach, I want to teach on something that I've already been taught, something that I've already put into practice in my life, because I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I'm not trying to talk about things that I don't know about. This is why I have other pastors communicate. It's like, you're better at talking about that than I am, and so you talk about it, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. But today, at the expense of me being a hypocrite at the expense of me now having strict accountability in my life over this, I am teaching something that's fresh to me. 
I'm teaching something that God is convicting me of even today. And so I'm teaching myself today. And I pray that, that it blesses you. I pray that you find hope in what I need to say to myself today. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It'll be up on the screen. Everyone at home, Genesis 2, 7. It says this. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Are you aware that we are made of dust? When God created the universe, he made it out of nothing. He spoke and it existed. But when God made humanity, when God made you and me, when God started with Adam, he created mankind out of dust and dirt. And so the question that I've been asking myself is this. If I am made of dust, why am I surprised that I can be messy? If we're made of dust, then why are we surprised when our children are messy, our co-workers are messy, people are messy, our relationships are messy? Why are we surprised if that's what we've come from anyway? And the reason this question is so important is because if we don't understand that in ourselves, if we don't realize that we were made of dust, that we tend to be messy, what happens when we live with other people is what Proverbs 14 describes. Proverbs 14, 4, it says this. This is why this question is so important. It says, when, uh, when, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. I like that. This is one of my favorite passages now. The manger is clean. Because how many of us know that kids aren't clean? Baby rooms aren't clean. Diapers aren't clean. Spit up is not clean. Where, the, uh, where no oxen are, the manger is clean. But much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. As I was preparing for Christmas several weeks ago, I was looking at passages about the manger. I came upon this one. I paid no regard to it. It didn't make sense to me in that moment. But last week, as I'm teaching you, the Spirit of God reminded me of this passage. And so I had to change what I was talking about today because the weight and the burden was, was so heavy for me, and I believe that it will bless us. Last week, as I'm talking about how much I can't stand the mess and I want to get rid of the mess. And some of you are like, yeah, amen. As I was looking upon this church familia, I was looking upon you and, and, and here's the thing, I, I know a lot of your stories. I know what a lot of people here are going through. I was convicted that if there's no mess, there's no ministry. I want to get rid of the mess. But, but if there's no dirt, then none of us can be discipled. If there's no problems in church, there's going to be no people in church. That's what that means. That's what Proverbs 14 is talking about. That we love the positive benefits that the oxen bring, what they can produce by their strength. We love that. But we don't like shoveling their stuff right? I love all the benefits. I love the, the, the productivity and the strength of the ox, but I don't want to deal with their dirt. And this is how a lot of us see people who don't realize 
that we are messy ourselves. We invite them in. We, we love what they can do for us. We love what they can give to us and how they can benefit us, but we don't want to deal with their dirt. Oh yeah, you're my friend and love you so much. And yeah, why don't you come over? Let, 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 let's go to the movies together. Let's go on vacation together. What's that? You're, you're in debt? Well, all right, we'll take care of that. I'm going to invite somebody else because I, I don't want to deal with your debt. I got my own debt, man. I don't want to have to pay for you. You know how much this stuff costs? Yeah, sorry, sorry, but we had this planned. You can't be a part of it anymore. You guys are our family friends. Man, we love you. We love sharing life. What's that? You're, you're getting a divorce? Oh, okay. Well, praying for you guys. Hey, don't send that invitation to them. They're, they got some trouble in their life right now. We don't, we, don't want, we don't want to deal with that this Christmas. Man, you're such a good friend. You're such a great leader. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad my children can look up to you. You're depressed? Why are, why are you depressed? Don't you have faith? Don't you trust God? I, don't, I, I can't deal with that right now. I can't deal with your depression. I, I got my own stuff to worry about. We love the positive benefits that people bring, but we don't want to deal with their dirt. We don't want to deal with their mess. But without mess, there is no ministry in church. We want to be the perfect place for imperfect people. But here's the reality of imperfect people. They are messy. Turn to someone, tell them, you're messy. You're dirty. <laughs> so am I, right? If there's no mess, there's no ministry. If, if, if there's no dirt in the church, then there's no discipleship or no need for that. And the reality is we all know that we all need help. Amen? Amen. So what's the meaning behind this mess? What's the message that we can learn from this mess? I remember several years ago, I, I read this blog post of, of this prominent female teacher who was explaining how she lost her husband. And uh, she started off by saying that her husband's mess used to drive her nuts. She would come home and have to pick up his dirty clothes from the gym and put it in the hamper, have to clean up all the dishes that he just, you know, he scooped up peanut butter and threw it in the, the, the sink and just left dust on the, the, the fans when he was supposed to clean on the weekend and didn't clean up all the dirt on the floor. But one day her husband got sick unexpectedly and was rushed to the hospital. And she was there in the hospital with him for several days by his side as he was battling for his life. And then he didn't make it. And while they were in the hospital, her, her parents wanted to do something good for her so she wouldn't have to worry about things when she got home. So they hired a cleaning service to tidy up everything in the house. And she explains that when she got home, it was a difficult reminder that her husband was no longer there. And all of a sudden, all she wanted was to be able to pick up the dirty clothes again. The clean sink was a reminder that her husband wasn't snacking late at night. The clothes off the floor was a reminder that her husband wasn't working in the yard. And she challenged all of the readers to not miss the meaning 
of why there's a mess in the first place. And as I was thinking about that last week in between services, I had to continue to teach two more services with this burden on my heart because I, I began to think about my children and all the times I'd get upset at them for leaving toys all over the floor. All the times I get angry when people would come over. I'm like, Jessica, stop throwing parties. They mess up our house. I don't want to do, I just want to be alone right now. And I'd miss the meaning of the mess. I'm so focused on the mess. I'm so mad at the mess that I miss the meaning behind the mess. Like all the toys on the floor, you know what that means? That means my children are playing in my house. They're having fun. All the dirt on the ground, it means that friends and family are coming over and, and, and they don't understand that I don't like the dirt, so they don't take off their shoes, but you know what? They're coming over and we're celebrating life. The dirty kitchen, you know what that, 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 the meaning behind that is? It means my wife is cooking up something great for our family. And I've missed the meaning. And I've just focused on the mess and got mad at the mess. And I don't want to do that anymore. Some of us, that's, that's the meaning behind this mess that we need to get. And I pray that we go home today and we see the mess in our homes so we stop seeing it just for the mess it is and we understand the meaning behind it. That we don't get mad at the mess, but we understand the mess represents what's most important. People. So here's the big idea for today for some of us. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, embrace the mess. We got to learn to embrace the mess. Here's why. If you try to get rid of all the mess in life, you'll lose the meaning of what's most important in life. We're all made of dirt, and one day we'll go back in the dirt. But until that day, I'm going to embrace the mess. Because the meaning of that mess is I'm still alive. The meaning of all the dirt in my home at times is that I'm not in the dirt. I am not dead. I'm going to embrace the mess in my life because the mess represents what's most important. The mess represents people that matter to God, and they're going to matter to me more than the mess that they make. Some of you, that, that's the meaning behind the mess that you need to understand. That's me. That's why I had to scrap this Sunday and, and talk about this. And I believe that I'm not the only one. Some of us are so frustrated. I don't want to invite these people and, and they're going to they're gonna get stuff all over my couch. Don't miss the meaning. Don't miss the meaning behind the mess. But some of us today, there's another meaning behind the mess of our lives and in our lives. And we need to understand that as well. Psalm 103.11, here's what it says. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's loving kindness towards those who fear him. And this word fear is not, you better clean your room or I'm throwing away all your toys. This fear of God is, is a form of worship. It's acknowledging who he is and who I am and what he can do. It, it, it's, it, it's giving him glory. It's lifting him up because I know who you are. Those who fear him, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. This is the type of father he is. He sees our sin 
And when we give that to him, he removes them from our life. He forgives us of this sin. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so our father, the Lord, has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 14. For he himself, for God himself knows our frame, how we're made, how we're shaped. He is mindful and aware that we are but dust. Turn a few people around you and tell them, I am but dust. (laughs) Be careful to put the right emphasis on the right syllable, okay? It's not I am butt dust. What's butt? Well, may, maybe you are butt dust, okay? That's where we came from. But I, I am butt dust. God is aware of it. He's aware that I am butt dust, if you want to take it that way, or I am butt dust. And he has compassion on us. So here's the second meaning behind the mess. And this is for everyone here. This is for my familia at Everglades Correctional. Everyone at home, I want you to understand this. Just because I made a mess doesn't mean I'm not worthy of love. Just because you screwed up, just because you made a mistake, just because you say so often, if it's on the floor, it's in the trash, clean up your mess, kids, I don't care, you're going to do it. It doesn't mean that you are not worthy of love. Because in the mess, I can find mercy. In the mess, I can get the good that I don't deserve. I can miss out on what I've earned myself and receive from God something so much greater. John 8, 2, it says this. It says, early in the morning, Jesus came into the temple and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees, remember them, these religious hypocrites, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they dragged her out and put her in front of everyone. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now there's another sermon in this for another day because there's a lot of questions. First of all, where's the man? Takes two, last time I checked, to commit adultery. Why is it just the woman? And how did you catch her in the act? Were you looking? Were you being a voyeur? Did you know her situation? And so now you're just trying to catch her? Verse 6 gives us some insight. It actually wasn't about the woman. It was about catching Jesus. Continues on. Uh, Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such woman. What do you say? Verse 6. They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing Jesus. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. We are but dust. But Jesus is something completely different. But Jesus knows what to do. But Jesus stoops down and begins to write with his finger. And a lot of theologians for a very long time have debated what did Jesus write? 
And the Bible doesn't tell us. And we want the answers all the time. Just tell me the answers. Give me the message. But the problem is that if it was listed and it didn't pertain to our situation, we would most likely ignore it. So I'm grateful for what God puts in the Word, but I'm also grateful for what He doesn't put in the Word because this story of this messy woman is really a story of God's mercy for our lives as well. Verse 7. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he was without sin among you. Let him be the first to throw the stone at her. Verse eight, again, he stooped down and began to write on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the center of the court. I love this story. The story doesn't give us a whole lot of detail. It just shows us the result of mercy and grace and love. But yet again, this hasn't stopped theologians from debating what Jesus could have written. And so there's many theories that are theological, but there's three that are prominent that I want to share today. And the first one is just very simple. He just stooped down and began doodling. He didn't do anything in particular because he knew the intent of their heart and was ignoring what they were doing. He's saying, I didn't come for you. I've come for those who need a savior. You're self-righteous. You think you have it all together. So I'm just ignoring what you're saying because you don't see the need for salvation. That's the first theory. Second theory is that when he stooped down, he began to write a Bible verse. What Bible verse? Doesn't matter and we don't know. Because how many of us do know that, that he knows all the verses, right? He is the living word. And when we come to his word, we can be convicted of whatever we're going through because it's living and active and powerful. And so we have access to his word all the time. It doesn't matter what word he said. When we go to his word, he will convict us. He will speak to us. But that's the second theological theory of what Jesus may have written on the ground. But the third, the most popular, the one that I actually am most intrigued with is that Jesus, when he stooped down to write, he actually began to write the names of the people who were there. They're watching and in their heart, they're thinking, I don't sin like this woman, caught in adultery. No, that, that's not who I am. And Jesus knows the intent of their hearts. And Jesus just stoops down, says, oh yeah, huh? You think you got dirt on this woman? Well, let me write in the dirt. Carlos, 2010, committed adultery with Tim's wife. Carlos is like, see you guys. Tim's like, what? What does that say? Listen, you, you, you were cheating on your secretary, and so I thought it was over. And they have a conversation, but they leave. Oh, we, we don't sin like that. She was caught in the very act of adultery. Remember, Jesus says, it's not just what you do, it's what you think in your heart. So he stoops down. Okay, you think you got dirt on this woman? Christina. DM'd all those dudes on Instagram two months ago. Christine's like, um, you guys have fun with that. Oh, okay. Charles, last night, clicked on that link. One by one, they begin to drop their stones and leave. And I love it says in verse nine that those who were older left first. Listen, we honor 
your generation. Thank you for setting the way. Thank you for setting the example for us. But I say this in love. The older left first, not because they were older and wiser. The older left first because they lived longer and their list was a whole lot longer. <laughs> we're all imperfect people, all in need of a savior. One by one, they left until no one was left except for one. And this is a beautiful picture of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Because this woman, when she, when she opened up her eyes, when she heard the pitter-patter of all the feet leaving all directions, she opened up and she thought she was good. She thought she was safe because all of us are imperfect. But she looks and she sees someone left. And she remembered hearing, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And everyone had left except for one. And the one who could cast a stone, what, what was he about to do? Verse 10. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman. This is not woman, right? This is not that. That's not the emphasis. This is a term of endearment. This is what he called his mother. He's propping her up. Woman. Not tramp. Not floozy. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And how does he respond? I do not condemn you either. I don't condemn you either. Go, leave, sin no more. See, the, the, the only one who had the, the right to throw stone didn't. The only one who knew the dirt on her life really didn't drag her through the dirt. The only one who could list off everyone's sin and the intention of their heart, not just their action, for her, he didn't. He didn't call her out on her sin. He didn't list down everything she's ever done. Why? Because in our mess, we can find mercy. In our dirt, God does not give us what we deserve. And I'm grateful for that. What's the meaning behind this mess? That we are messy people made of dirt, but yet God still has compassion. God still has grace. God has mercy upon our lives. And this is the message of Christmas. This is the greatest gift of all. This is why we do what we do because of God's grace and his mercy. We're deserving of death, but he gives us love instead. And we find this in John 3, 16. We did a whole five-week series where we blessed people because the word of God blesses us in John 3, 16. Listen to what it says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Why? That whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the good news summarized in one passage, but we cannot have John 3, 16 without John 3, 17. Verse 7, says, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I want to challenge us, myself included, to embrace the mess, to not see the mess and miss the miracle and miss the message and miss the meaning that it means people 
who are precious in the sight of God. It means I'm still alive. God, help me to steward this mess because this mess means that I get to steward relationships and minister to people. Embrace the mess. But some of us really need to understand the meaning that the mess doesn't make us who we are. That even though we are messy, even though we are butt dust or butt dust, it doesn't mean that's who we'll always be. Jesus looks at this woman and says, I don't condemn you, but go. Go live your life now and sin no more. Go live the life that you were created to live. Not defined by what everyone said about you, that you're an adulterer, but by my grace, by my mercy, by my love for you, go and sin no more. Love people the way that you're supposed to love them. Not simply lust after them, but actually give your life for them. But here's the thing. She couldn't love and we can't love unless we are first loved by him. We can't really live out that love unless we know that we are loved with an unconditional love. He says, go and sin no more. Go and give away grace to other people. But there's no way we can give away grace unless we have first received mercy. Go, sin no more. Be all that I've called you to be, no matter who you used to be. This is the message of Christmas. For many of us, this is the meaning behind the mess. Have you received it? Have you understood it? Have you accepted it for yourself? Here's a final big idea that I want to leave us with today. God did not leave us in our mess. Amen. He didn't leave us to wallow in our mess or condemn us because of our mess. Instead, he sent the Messiah to save us. That word Messiah, it means the chosen one, the savior of mankind, the one that the people have been waiting for since the foundations of the earth. He sent Jesus, the Messiah, to save us. And this gift is what Christmas is all about. This gift is the greatest gift that we can ever receive because it changes all of our life and all of our eternity. And I want to let you know, you don't have to wait to Christmas to receive this. In fact, if you're here today online or here in this place and you say, I'm messy. I've made a mess of my life. I focused more on the mess than the people and I've controlled and I've gotten angry and I'm continuing to be in a mess and in my control of things I realize I have no control and I've lost control and I've lost everything in my life and I am a mess. Today you can receive the meaning of life, the love of Jesus. And it's not difficult. It's not convoluted, it's simple. It's simple as ABC. At first we would admit, I'm a mess. If you'd be willing to say, I'm, I'm a mess, I've, I've messed up, I've sinned, I've lived life on my own, but then I believe that you love me. I believe that you came to live and die and rise again, that you are the Son of God, you are perfect, that you love me, and now I commit my life to that. I commit my life to you. I commit my life to being who you've called me to be. I commit my life to, to knowing what you've said about me so you can transform me 
If that's you today, if you would say, my life is a mess today, you can find salvation, you can find mercy, you can find new life today. And so if that's you here at home, I want to pray with you with every eye closed. That's you. You can pray this in your heart. And, and the rest of us who are walking with Jesus, the rest of us who have found this miracle of Christmas today, we're going to be praying with you as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and transforms you from the inside out. That's you. Would you just simply say in your heart, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've lived life on my own. And here I find myself in desperate need of a Savior. But I believe that you love me. I believe that you've come to save me and not condemn me. I believe that you are the perfect Son of God who lived, died, and rose again so that I could have eternal life. And I accept that right now, and I commit my life to following you. Commit my life to trusting what you say. Commit my life to believing what your Word says about me, what what your grace speaks to me, and not what I believe about myself, not what the crowd says, not what I've done. I commit myself to living in the identity of being chosen and forgiven and accepted and loved because of your grace and mercy. I receive that right now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.